0: Is Pharaoh looking for two Doncaster straight can he do it again light up the world is getting up near the fence but Fero Fero descends to the lead from Abbey Glenn and light up the world followed by Aaronen and Brave Warrior but Gavane it goes for home on Fero look at Auntie Mary Auntie Mary out of the pack This podcast is brought to late. you Pharaoh by Racing New South Wales Sky Pharaoh, Racing and Pride Easy Feed Ticket sales are humming along for the 2023 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. 14 lucky ticket holders will get to share in the $2 million prize money on offer for this year's edition of the world's richest race for country and ACT-trained horses. $5 sweepstake tickets are available until the 6th of September via the Tab app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winners will be drawn on Fridays ship September the 8th, and those winners will be in a position to offer their slots to the owner or owners of one of the Kosciuszko runners. Slot holders and owners will negotiate a prize money split suitable to both parties. It's hard to believe five years have passed since the Grafton train Bell Flyer won the first Kosciuszko on a heavy track. 2019, it was the Canberra train to handle the truth. 2020, the Scone Mare, it's me, who finished very fast to win the big race. 2021, Arca became the only horse to win the country championship Kosciuszko double. Last year, the Wagga train front page was an impressive winner and is expected to line up again in 2023. Ticket sales close September the 6th. Draw will be held on September the 8th and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and racingnewsouthwales.com.au. When Daryl McLean walked off the Corowa Racecourse on Monday, July 31st, he did so with very mixed feelings. When you're 75 years of age, you're perfectly entitled to call it a day. But there's also a sad side to be leaving a job you've loved for a major part of your working life. Daryl McLean was a member of the Southern Districts Racing Association Stewards Paddle for 48 years, with 12 years as Deputy Chairman. He was a furniture salesman when transferred from Wangaratta to Wagga in the early 1970s with absolutely no interest in horse racing. It wasn't long before he was attending the Wagga races with newfound mates and enjoying a little flutter. He also found himself becoming interested in the pedigrees of the local horses, and that's an interest which he retains to this day. His attention was drawn to an advertisement in the Daily Examiner, calling for expressions of interest in a job as a trainee steward. The SDRA decided to engage two young hopefuls for a one-month trial period, and at the end of that time, it was the 26-year-old Victorian who landed the job. Darrell has spent his entire career based in Wagga, and that's an unusual situation in the life of a racing steward. For a steward to maintain friendships with all sections of the industry is a near-impossible task. Daryl McLean is as close as you're likely to find. Riverino racing participants tell me he was tough but fair, He could come down hard when he needed to, but always accorded his utmost respect to those participants who played by the rules. Let's pay tribute to a man who gave great service to New South Wales country racing. Daryl McLean, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, John. Great
0: career, mate, and we're going to uh, look back on it now in the next uh, 40 minutes or so. You were special guest at a luncheon hosted by the Murrumbidgee Turf Club at Wagga last Sunday. Were there any withdrawal symptoms on the day?
1: Oh, yes, plenty of them, John. Mm. <laughs> you know, to be sitting there at the Murrumbidgee Turf Club, which I love, uh, and I've been there for... i worked at hundreds and hundreds of meetings at over the years, but to sit there and uh, to watch the racing without participating in it myself, yeah, there was a few withdrawal symptoms there for sure.
0: It was a very pleasant surprise for you on the day uh, when you were actually uh, inducted as a life member of the Murrumbidgee Turf Club at a special presentation during the day.
1: That's correct, John, and... uh, uh, I didn't have any uh, I had no uh, speeches or any planned to rank and it took me by total surprise and mm. uh, it, it's a big it was a very big thrill you know that club's been going since I think 1837 it's had a reputation as being one of the country best country clubs in Australia and, mm. and uh, to to get a, a, an award like that from them was a special f- thing for me and it's certainly I'll treasure for the rest of my life.
0: Of course you will and you had another surprise just a few days ago when you received a letter of congratulations from a former high-profile politician.
1: Yes Michael McCormack is our local member here is also the former uh, Deputy Prime Minister of the country uh, wrote to me congratulating me on my fairness and professionalism Mm. uh, over many years of the SDRA and uh, that was a very big uh, thrill for me too as well, John.
0: When you finished at Corowa on July 31st and walked out of that steward's room for the final time and headed for the car park, how was it feeling?
1: Oh, one of sadness, you know. Mm. Um, be, I've been to all the racetracks in our area for all those years and, oh, definitely definitely sadness, but, you know, I, I was quite satisfied that I'd done my best over the years and uh, that it wouldn't, you know, I'd still be able to go to the races anyway sort of thing but uh, in a yeah. different uh, circumstance.
0: Yep. Even though Wangaratta is a very strong racing town, There wasn't a trace of interest in the sport in your family. Mum and Dad were totally oblivious to it. Your brother likewise, but your sister, your only sister, you tell me later, married a horse trainer.
1: No, it was her partner, but he—he was a horse trainer. her out of that. But between the two of them, also, they ran a horse stud down. They managed a horse stud down there too, as well. Mm. But, but that was after I'd moved to Wagga, so uh, she that, that that hadn't happened while I was in Wangaratta. Right. But uh, I, no, when I when I'd left Wangaratta, I'd I'd, I'd uh, had no interest in horse racing at all.
0: Well, it appears your strongest sporting interest back then was Australian rules football. Were you focused on a career in the game at that stage?
1: Well, uh, at Patterson's, I was working in the. Uh, as, like as a furniture salesman in the in the shop, and I, I was asked there was a pr- promotion coming up at Wagga, mm. and they asked me if I was interested in going moving to Wagga. And at that particular time, I'd only just got married, and mm. uh, the the promotion was to be the outside rep up here at Wagga, where um, mm. you, where I went around houses, uh, measuring up for floor coverings and blinds and curtains and that sort of thing. Yeah, And uh, it was a considerable uh, amount more money and so forth. So I, I accepted that and moved up to Wagga. And then mm. when I got up here, the local football club uh, offered me a contract to play and to coach their under-16 football side, mm. which, which I did for a number of years.
0: Mm. Just before we leave that company you worked for, Patterson's Proprietary Limited Furniture and Floor Coverings, they yeah. were a pretty big outfit back then, weren't they?
1: Oh, they were the biggest in Australia. They had over 130 shops at one stage
0: mm.
1: and they were a very, very, very big company. Yeah, they were, it was owned by Sir Maurice Nathan who was a very keen racing man too. He was uh, the former Lord Mayor of Melbourne and he raced many horses over the years and I think a former president of the Carlton Football Club so uh, yeah, so there was a bit of <laughs> racing tradition there for Patterson's as well.
0: <laughs> mm. Well, you quickly made new friends in Wagga, and it wasn't long before some of those friends talked you into going out to the Wagga races one day, little realising what they were starting.
1: That's correct. Yeah, one man in particular who I worked with at Patterson's was a keen punter, and his, uh, his uh, nephew was a real racing, a uh, real breeding man, mm. and I become very good friends with them. And used to go to the races on a regular basis with them, and I, I became a very keen student of the ra- of the breeding business, and there. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, so um, that's how I I became interested in racing as a as a punter. But really, mm.
0: and you're interested in thoroughbred uh, pedigrees, uh, is yeah. it an interest that that has you know you've retained right through to this day.
1: That's correct. Yeah, right to this very day, I still still love the breeding side. I'm a very, you know, fascinates me the breeding side of it.
0: Yeah, Darrell, you tell me you enjoyed a little flutter back then. Was it only a flutter? You were not really a serious putter.
1: Oh no, mainly yeah, just just a flutter, a day out at mm. the race and that sort of thing. Yeah, that that was the main, my main. Yeah, just a few, you know, a few bets here and there.
0: Yeah. So, week by week, month by month, and race meeting by race meeting, you simply grew more fond of the sport.
1: That's exactly right, John. Yes. And when uh, my football contract was ready to expire, around about the same time or just a little bit later on, mm. and that was and that was in the local daily advertiser mm. looking for a race day steward. Yeah. And my interest in racing had got to the stage where I thought I wouldn't mind giving that a go. So uh, mm. I applied for the job and uh, myself and, the, and another man was uh, given a month's n- uh, trial mm. and um, unfortunately for the other fellow, he got kicked by a horse on his first day in the mounting yard. And uh, But but about a month later, the racing uh, uh, in the SDRA committee called me and said, I. Oh, they were willing to give me a go, so I got the job. Yeah, and everything just went from there.
0: The other poor fellow got kicked in the enclosure yeah, on his very first it, day at the races. Now that yeah, and that it, wouldn't do his enthusiasm any good.
1: But no, <laughs> no, it didn't, John. Oh, damn! <laughs> me. I mean, that's and back and back in those days, John, um, the stewards in Wagga Wagga had a very very strong an experienced stewards panel. Right. And I was very, very lucky at that time to to get some extensive training from them. Now, back in those days, racing was under the umbrella of the Australian Jockey Club in New South Wales, mm. and they thought so much of the, uh, the stewards panel here in Wagga that they used to send down their cadets for maybe 12 months or two years training under mm. the local stewards before they sent them back to Sydney. Now, some of those fellows I was fortunate enough to work with was folks like Jamie Steer, who became Deputy Chairman in Sydney, then the Chief Steward in Hong Kong. He went to England and now he's the Chief uh, Integrity uh, Man in Victoria. Uh, Terry Bailey also spent a couple of years here, which I worked with. Uh, Mm. He, he of course, went to the – he was the Chief Steward in Victoria and then went to – uh, to, um, back to, to Hong Kong, well, he's in Hong Kong at the moment, yeah. after being the chief steward in uh, Singapore. Uh, another person that uh, was here was uh, Peter Chadwick, who he has also become the chief steward in Singapore and then went on to be the chief steward in, uh, in, in Queensland.
0: Yeah.
1: Mark, Mark Van Gestel. He was here for, for two years training before he went back to Sydney and eventually became the chief steward in the AJC and, uh, and the, sorry, with the Racing New South Wales. Mm. And now he's in Hong Kong. So, you know, we've, I've been very fortunate to work with some of the best stewards in the world here.
0: Mm. Yeah, well,
1: because I, I've, I've, I've had the same training as what they did through yeah. the same people.
0: Right. Now, I've jotted down the names of some of the local stewards you work with uh, in the early days and over subsequent years. Just give me your memories of Angus Ross.
1: Yeah, Angus Ross was the chief steward when I first started here. Um, He was a very tough man. Uh, Everything had to be done properly. There was no uh, messing around. If you didn't do your mm-hmm. job properly, well, you wouldn't have a job. It was as simple as that. And yeah. of course, back in those days, things were very, very tough. Uh, you know, there was no cameras or anything like that. You had to, it was your own observations and mm-hmm. everything used, used to have to be, uh, you know, done properly. So
0: uh,
1: yeah. he, he uh, left here then to go up to, he was a chief steward on the Gold Coast.
0: That's right. Now, names like Michael Hickey, John Boyd, Neil Gorham
1: yes yeah well michael hickey was a, a big influence on me in my racing career um I was his deputy he was when he was the chief steward here I was his deputy and uh, you know for many many years and he uh, he had a big influence on me again he was he was a tough guy too as well mm. um you know that you had to be tough back in those days because you didn't survive if you weren't no, no. and uh, Neil Gorman was another bloke who um he, uh, he worked for oh, over 40 years in the SDRA as a, a race day steward and and then he, I, I received a lot of support from him too as well. Yeah. Well, uh, when John, you started, sorry, John sorry, Boyd. John Boyd hmm. Yeah, sorry, John Boyd, he went on to be on the panel of the VRC too as well.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, they had great careers. Mm. Now, now, when you started, Darrell, there were about 30 tracks under the control of the SDRA as far afield as Ranald, yes. which is in a semi-desert area. By gee, you yeah. covered some miles early days.
1: Yeah, John, we'd leave here at 7 o'clock in the morning and wouldn't get home till midnight, mm. and it'd be 42 or 43 degrees in the middle of February. Mm. Uh, there'd be no air conditioning in the cars, and a lot of the roads was only dirt. Yeah. And, you know, it was a five-hour trip out there and by the time you got there yeah. you felt pretty well rung out before you even got there. You know, it was a, mm. they were tough days. They were very tough days.
0: Yeah, and you can bet your life if there was going to be a protest it would be in the last race.
1: <laughs> That's right. I, I remember going out, I was in charge of meeting at Token Wall one day and Token about was about, oh, about two-hour, two a two-and-a-half-hour trip from Wagga yeah. And I had a pro. There was a six race program on the fourth. In the fourth race, I had a protest second against first. In the uh, the fifth race, I had a double protest oh, third against second and first. Yeah, and in the last race, I had a triple protest. Uh, it was uh, third, mm. third against first and second, and second against first. Yeah. And I think I left the race course that
0: night about 7 o'clock and there was no one left. I was the only one left
1: there, I think. Yeah, and you'd <laughs> get a home. very tough day.
0: <clears throat> you'd get home about 10 o'clock and head, right. head straight for the fridge.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> My word, you're right there, John. Oh, yeah.
0: Now, we should point out, uh, Daryl, that for the first 10 years or so, you juggle stewarding duties with your job at Paterson's.
1: That's correct. Now, I think you were in
0: a managerial role by then, though, weren't you?
1: Yes, that's correct, John. Yes, that's right. And I only raced on the Saturday, you see, back in those days. Mm. And we always had two races every Saturday and every, every month there'd be three race meetings on a Saturday. So, yeah. yeah, that's how I was able to do that, you see.
0: Now, stand by for my favourite Daryl McLean story. Australian racing stewards have traditionally worn hats, and the majority still do. The fedora, or the trilby as it's known in Europe, uh, have probably been the popular choice of the stipes. Now, when you started in your mid-twenties, you hadn't embraced the practice of wearing a hat, but that all changed one day at the Cootamundra races. This sounds far-fetched, but it's true.
1: That's exactly right, John. Uh, I was stationed on the steward's tower at around about the 800 metres, around the back of the track, mm-hmm. and there was a five-horse race. Anyway, uh, the favourite had got badly interfered with about 50 metres from my steward's tower. Ooh. Anyway, what happened was I missed it because as they were coming towards me, all of a sudden whack! Something hit me on the top of the head, and it was a swooping magpie. <laughs> anyway, I nearly fell off the steward's tower, and of course, I missed the interference altogether. So I,
0: yeah.
1: After every race, <clears throat> the stewards have to go back to the steward's room and make a report to the chief steward as to what they saw during the race. Mm. And I got back to the steward's room, and the chief steward, who was Angus Ross at the time, said, uh, "What happened to the, the favourite there, Darrell?" He said he lost his position. Coming to uh, just about 50 metres from your your uh, your yeah. steward's tower. yeah And I said, Well, look, Angus, I said, I never saw it. And he, he looked at me, I'll never forget it. His eyes nearly fell out of his head. He said, You never <laughs> saw it. He said, It was only 50 metres from your stand. He said, yeah. God, he said, He said, He said, Jeez, he said, There's not going to be much, much hope for you as a steward if you could miss that. <laughs> and then the cop, like, I explained. I explained to him that I'd be swooped by a magpie yeah. and uh, he sort of looked at me and uh, and uh, and at the time we had the the cameras are there and we had one camera at the end of the straight and luckily for me that's, that camera actually picked up the fact that the magpie had swooped me so I, I was able to get out of it. I was yeah. pretty lucky.
0: Well, <laughs> oh, mate, that's a great story Now, I wonder if that piece of film footage is still in captivity I'd love to put that on the website
1: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not too sure Gee, going back a long time I doubt <laughs> yeah. very much if they'd still have it now, John
0: <laughs> Yeah Now, and you've worn a hat ever since
1: <laughs> Ever since I've never been to a race meeting without a hat ever since
0: Yeah, rumour has it you sleep in one
1: Oh, not quite. But <laughs> I always wear one to the races, that's for sure. And, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. Darrell,
0: at the risk of offending bird lovers, the magpie can be unpleasant and can be very aggressive.
1: They can be, yeah, that's right. But out here on the farm where I live, we've got hundreds of magpies out here. I've never, ever been swooped by one ever. In yeah. fact that there's a... Um, there's a big gum tree here only a few metres from my, our driveway and yeah. there's always two or three magpies nesting that and I, mm-hmm. I get on really good with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Daryl,
0: when you first met Bill Armstrong, mm-hmm. he was chairman of the SDRA and he was president of the Daniloquin Jockey Club. He'd previously been a starter, you tell me, on Victorian racetracks and a starter of note.
1: Yes, exactly. I think he, he, he uh, started over 30 Melbourne Cups.
0: Hmm. Goodness me. He,
1: he was a parliamentarian also and he was a very, very highly respected person here in the, in the Southern District Racing Association.
0: And he gave you some advice one day that you would heed for the rest of your career.
1: Exactly. He, he said to me, Daryl, he said, you're only a young person, he said, And if you want to make a career as a steward, he said, my advice to you is you treat people with respect and you'll get respect in return. And I'll tell you what, every word he said turned out to be exactly right. Hmm. And uh, that's, that's that's what I adopted throughout my career and I never, ever regretted it.
0: You've got a million funny stories. Tell me about the jockey behind the barriers one day, at a non-tab meeting at Griffith. He told the starter he was worried that his mount may not get around the first turn. I think the starter panicked a bit and wanted to scratch the horse.
1: That's correct. He he, was, he said, well, he said, that's not satisfactory. We'll have to scratch it. And, of course, this was back in the days before the TAB. It was bookmakers only then. Mm. And the jockey pleaded with him. He said, look, he said, the trainer of this horse reckons it'll win. He said, We've just got to get it around the home turn, around the first turn at 800 mm-hmm. metres. He said, There's a car load of owners that have come up for Victoria to back it. And he said, Please don't. And he pleaded with the with The uh, with, the, uh, the, the, with the, starter. the starter, don't scratch him. <laughs> don't scratch him. He said, We've got a plan. He said, This horse has got a lot of early pace, and I think it was about about 10 or 11 in the race, and he'd drawn barrier three. He said, what I plan to do, he said, is to get him out of the barriers quick, and he said, he'll have a heap of horses on his outside. He said, they'll, they'll guide me around the first turn. Mm. And he said, once I get around the first turn, that'll be it. He said, this horse will win the race. Anyway, the starter thought about it for a while, and he said, okay, then, when well, he gave into him he let he let him go, so mm. – the horses get away and unexpectedly he's missed the start by about three lengths. Oh. And he's panicked and he gives the horse a kick to try and get him going, but of course he didn't have enough pace because the other horses had already gone. Mm. And they, as they went around the turn, he just kept on coming towards me. Oh. And I'm standing there with the head on view at the 800 metre mark. Anyway. He's coming towards me and he's singing out like one of those Comanche Indians in you know, the <laughs> old cowboy movies, you know. <laughs> anyway, the horse slowed up a couple of strides and he went straight up and over the outside fence. Oh. And as he did, the, the jockey went, oh, high in the air and he came down and he landed flat on his head. Oh. <clears throat> anyway, he never moved. I thought, oh, geez, I rushed down from the steward's tower. And as I got down there to the bottom, that the starter had pulled up, and also the ambulance. Mm. And back in those days, the ambulance drivers only had one. There was only one ambulance driver in each ambulance, not like today where there's two. Yeah. Anyway, the ambulance driver said, "Oh, gee, said this bloke's in a lot of trouble." He he started moaning. He was grey in <laughs> the face, and there was froth coming out of his mouth oh, no, I, dear. he was he was in a bloody bad way mm.
0: he
1: said look he said we've got to get this fellow to the hospital pretty quick he said can one of you blokes drive the ambulance we said well we can't we, we've got a race mcneil we've got to run you know so the starter gets onto the chief steward who in turn got a call put over the microphone to, to get if, if somebody could drive the ambulance and, there was a uh, off duty policeman there to come run running around. By the time he got back, we had to jockey in the back of the ambulance and they took off to the hospital. Anyway, the um the starter and I were convinced after seeing the jockey that we would never see him again. With we thought he was certain to, to pass away because he was in a bad way. So um
0: yeah.
1: after each race we'd ask the chief steward, we heard anything from the hospital and he no, he said, we haven't heard anything yet. And I said, Gee, well, good news, you know, bad like no news is good news. So
0: yeah.
1: Anyway, we go throughout the afternoon, still hadn't heard anything from the hospital, and the starter and I are walking across the mounting yard to get in the vehicle to go around to the start of the last race, mm. and we hear this voice behind us, I told you, sir, I might not be able to get that horse around that first turn.
0: Don't tell me.
1: And we turn around, and here he is, the jockey standing on the rail with two of his mates with a can of beer in his hand. <laughs> Apparently, he'd, he when he got a hit on the head when he'd fallen, he got he had an epileptic fit, and he when he came to and, and felt a bit better, he released himself from hospital and came down to the, watch the last race because. It was one, one to. Uh, he was due to ride the favourite. Of course, he couldn't ride after that. But he came down to look at the the favourite
0: in so, the race. Goodness me! So it was epilepsy, and <laughs> Epi- not
1: epilepsy. And he released himself from hospital and come to the race after that.
0: Could only happen in the bush, mate. I don't think not we'll not. see a similar situation at Randwick on Everest Day.
1: Ah, oh, John. There was another incident too. Uh, one of the funniest things I've ever seen was over at Holbrook one day and the horse, I was around the back at about the 800-metre mark and there was a, a turn at about the 700 metres. It was a fairly sharp turn mm. and these horses were racing in Indian file and a jockey that used to ride around here, quite an experienced jockey called Michael MacDuff, mm. was on this horse and it clipped the horse's heels in front of him and went right down on its nose, and as it did, and its hindquarters come up, it threw him right up high in the air. And Ron Steiner, another experienced jockey, he was coming behind, and when McDuff came down, he landed on, on Steiner's horse. Goodness me. And here's the two of them on this one horse, and Ron Steiner trying to guide his horse around the 700-metre turn with McDuff sitting in front of him.
0: Goodness gracious me. Yeah, well, that <laughs> happened in Melbourne on one occasion and it happened in an Inter-Dominion Grand Final, uh, Darryl, yeah. on the Wavell Showgrounds in Adelaide where a driver was catapulted out of the gig and landed in the lap of another driver. <laughs> I've seen the well, photograph. Astonishing. Well, that's
1: exactly the same thing as what happened in Holbrook that day.
0: Yeah, I, I presume that... You know, bets were refunded on the horses in question.
1: <laughs> no, I don't Probably no, not, but, no. No, no, they were just a racing incident. That yeah. Was, yeah, it was a racing incident that happened and it's like if a horse falls in a race, you don't get your money back. No, so exactly. No.
0: Now, mate, what about the short and plump clerk of the course one day at Tocum Wall races? Who had a very unique way of getting on his pony?
1: Yes, he had a special stool manufactured so that he could stand on the get up onto the stool, and then he get off the stool into the back of his ute, and then out of the ute and onto the horse. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> and, and uh, he'd, uh, when he came back, he get off the ride the horse up uh, up against the side of the ute, get into the ute, and then down onto the stool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he used to mount
0: his horse. <laughs> you, you've seen it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have, John.
0: <laughs> now, Daryl, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast, and we'll come back with you in a moment, uh, and we'll hear some more very humorous and entertaining stories from retiring stipendiary steward, Daryl McLean. Ticket sales are humming along for the 2023 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. 14 lucky ticket holders will get to share in the $2 million prize money on offer for this year's edition of the world's richest race for country and ACT trained horses. $5 sweepstake tickets are available until the 6th of September via the Tab app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winners will be drawn on Friday. September the 8th and those winners will be in a position to offer their slots to the owner or owners of one of the Kosciuszko runners. Slot holders and owners will negotiate a prize money split suitable to both parties. It's hard to believe five years have passed since the Grafton train Bell Flyer won the first Kosciuszko on a heavy track. 2019 it was the Canberra train to handle the truth 2020, the Scone Mare, It's Me, who finished very fast to win the big race. 2021, Arcadeau became the only horse to win the country championship, Kosciuszko double. Last year, the Wagga Train Front Page was an impressive winner and is expected to line up again in 2023. Ticket sales close September the 6th. Draw will be held on September the 8th and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and Racing New South Wales. Now, modern-day stewards have the advantage of advanced technology. Multiple cameras around the track with all sorts of cutaways and slow-motion replays, you name it. Now, when you started, especially at the faraway meetings, there was no such thing as technology. You mentioned it earlier. It was purely stewards' observation – not hard to imagine some of the tricks those hard-headed old bush jockeys would have gotten up to.
1: Oh, that, that's right, John. Things were totally different then. I mean, even some of the smaller uh, clubs didn't even have a photo finish back in those days, you know. Mm. Uh, nowadays, they've got all the modern coloured uh, photo finishes and everything like that. So, yeah, some of those old hard-headed jockeys, they used to be pretty good mates back in those days and that. Uh, You had to
0: deal with them pretty right, you know. Mm. The life of the steward can be a lonely one at times. A blatant disregard of the rules can sometimes lead to a trainer or jockey incurring a disqualification. Now, the job must get pretty unpleasant when the jockey or trainer happens to be a married man with kids and a mortgage. You wouldn't like it any more than they did.
1: That was no that that was definitely no fun in that, John. There's never any fun in that at all. You know, uh, uh, other things like photo uh, um, protests and things like that too, as well. When you see people going from uh, jubilation to you know misery after a few minutes when the protest has been you know upheld and that sort of thing, but uh, mm. people that people, you know. Particularly, uh, you know, with some disqualifications, If I used to feel that if, if a person was deliberately cheating yeah. and deliberately going out of their way to take advantage of a good, honest person trying to make an honest living, yeah. he deserved it. And I had no, no worries about disqualifying somebody under those circumstances. You know I mean? There's no, mm-hmm. there's no room for cheating in racing as far as I'm concerned. If you want to cheat, go and get into something else, but not in racing because the, the consequences can be very, very tough. And I had no difficulty at all about handing it, hand it out for somebody who, who deliberately tried to cheat.
0: Yeah. Deliberately look for the edge.
1: That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, the old-time practice of horses having easy runs because of lack of fitness has been largely eradicated by a glut of barrier trials now available in all regions. There's really no excuse today for not having a horse close to fit at their first run back.
1: That's exactly right. I think all these barrier trials are a great thing for racing now. You know, they, um, it educates the horses better and as you said, fitness-wise, it makes it a lot better. Mm-hmm. for the uh, trainers to be able to uh, get their horses fit.
0: You know, with the blessing of the SDRA, you've had outside business interests far removed from racing. One of them intrigues me. You had a sheepskin manufacturing business making car seat covers and, and the like.
1: Yeah, that's right, John. Uh, my wife sort of used to look after that side of things. We had a manufacturing sheepskin business as well as a retail store as well, mm. and um, that, that that was directly across the road from where I was working at Patterson's right in the middle of the main street. Mm. And, uh, yes, yeah, so, of uh, um, course, for me to be sent away somewhere like that, uh, I also had a couple of other... Uh, interests in a, a couple of properties I had that I used to run beef cattle on that. Yeah, and uh, I was asked a couple of times if I was interested in transferring away, and of course I, I financially, would have been a, a disaster for me to do it. So uh, the, the 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 authorities were very good to me and allowed me to, to stay in Wagga, and that's the reasons to mm. the one part of the reason why I um I stayed here for so long.
0: Yeah. You're still on property. You live on 250 yeah, acres go. close to town. Uh, yeah,
1: 260 acres, There, yeah, right on the right on the outskirts of Wagga, right on the town boundary.
0: Mm. Gregadoo, I, I, is that the district? Greg-a-doo. Gregadoo, yeah.
1: Gregadoo, that's just on the outskirts of Wagga, yeah.
0: Mm. Now, on that property a half a dozen thoroughbred brood mares which yeah. belong to your wife, Pauline. Pauline's yeah. interested in racing, Emanates from her early experience as a bookies clerk on Riverina yeah. tracks.
1: That's exactly right. She was a bookmaker's clerk and also a fluctuations clerk at the Maribyrnong Turf Club for many years. That's where I met Pauline actually. and uh, yeah, and I think I got her interested in the in the breeding side of things because I was such a so fascinated in uh, in breeding and so forth. Uh, I got, I got her interested in it and then she sort of bought a couple of mares and things yeah. like that and went on from there.
0: Yeah. Now, those mares you have there currently are all by fashionable stallions. Can, mm-hmm. you, can you give me an idea?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of mares here by Starcraft. I've got I've uh, got one by uh, Magnus and another one by Time Thief. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got uh, one by Wiener and another one by Nuclear Freeze.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: So, yeah, we've had, yeah, we, Pauline's raced a few horses over over the last 10 or 15 years, hmm. mainly just around the country here sort of thing and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Now, Daryl, our regular race fans will want me to get you to reminisce about the horsemen and horses of your era on Riverina tracks, the ones that have left uh, indelible impressions on you. Does uh, a horse called Green Ridge Striker call
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was an old marvel. People used to – he he, He he's. He was a, he, he, was just a, an icon around here, around the Riverina. I think he had, oh, 170, 180 starts or something. He yeah. won about 30 or 40 races and he just mm. – he was just one of those horses just kept on going around and around all the time, and he was so consistent. Mm. He was a great old horse, Green Ridge.
0: You speak well of Ozzie Cozzy, a terrific yeah, little mare. She won 13 races all up, a couple at Sandown, one at Caulfield and one at Mooney Valley. She was a city-class mare.
1: That's right. She was trained by Greg McDermott, who used to be in this area, and uh, I remember one day up at Gundy Guy, she she was given about 10 or 12 kilos to a horse and uh, she was up near the lead and this other horse tackled her and they were head and head all the way down the straight. Mm. And I think she had something like about 65 kilos on her back. Yeah. And the, the other one the other one had 55, I think, and, and she, she ended up still beating it. It was a terrific, one, mm. one of the guttiest rams I've ever seen.
0: I read a lovely story on the internet by Matt Malone. Which features your recollections of Millcourt's Wagga Cup win in 1990? This must yeah. have been an unforgettable day.
1: Ah, uh, <clears throat> I, I still, uh, it still affects me this day to talk about that, um, hmm. John. Um, Millcourt was a local horse, a really good, consistent local horse, but he was running against. You know, all the city horses were here, like from Melbourne, the Sydney you had good. They come for the big Wagga Cup, which is a big, you know, listed race and you know one of the big country cup races. And he, I think, he was about ten or twelve to one, but he was a very popular horse around here. He won a lot of races in the bush and that. And uh, this this Wagga Cup in 1990, um, he was trained by a local trainer named Bob Tyat, mm. and his wife's name was Bev, and um, Uh, He was a popular trainer, but only a small trainer. I think he had about half a dozen horses in work, but he was a very popular man. And just not long before the Wagga Cup, he received the very sad news that his little daughter had contracted an incurable disease. Oh, dear me. And uh, Millcourt was in the Wagga Cup, and Alan Hull was the broadcaster at the time, and... And mm. about 100 metres out, he said, here comes Mill caught out of the pack. And the whole crowd just stood up on their feet. Mm. And when he got up in the last stride, truly, you, you wouldn't have thought you were at a race meeting. You thought you were at a funeral. I've never seen so many people in tears. Goodness. And man. I was I was one of them, I can tell well, you. I, yeah. I, ch- I was very choked up. And the, 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 the trainer was just standing there in the mountain up absolutely shaking him. With emotion, mm. you know, it was a, a, a it was a popular, very very popular win, ridden by one of our local jockeys here. Wal Bowdy, too, who mm. was you know one of our local jockeys, and um, it was a it was a day that I'll never forget.
0: No, amazing story. We're getting yeah. we're getting an intermittent beep uh, on the line, Daryl, which I think is coming from your end. If that's oh. not the case, it could be aliens.
1: Yeah, it much. It's not from my end. I don't think. <laughs> oh, it might be. I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway,
0: <laughs> it's not too disruptive. We, we, we won't All worry right. about it. Now you talk of La Bijou, who won mm-hmm. two Wagga Cups three years apart, and yes. uh, he was a great bush horse. He raced well in town too, on occasions.
1: Oh, he was a really good horse trained by uh, Chris Honeychurch from Wangaratta, the, who was the son of the legendary. Bert Honeychurch, who was one of the legends here in the in the Southern District racing, mm. and um, he uh, prior to his last win at the uh, a, a Wagga Cup, I think he won down the straight six at Flemington over straight mm. twelve hundred metres, and then mm. it was either two or three weeks later he came back and won the Wagga Cup over t- over two thousand. Freakish. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very, very good horse.
0: Aura Lad was a consistent horse in the early 90s. He never stopped winning races. He won 20 all up.
1: Yeah, and he, he was trained at a, a, a Tumba Rumba by Bob Bergen, who was one of our older older trainers, and it, he was only a small trainer too as well. But everybody, I think he won about four Tumba Rumba Cups. Yeah. Every time they took a horse to tame a rumble, the old or that it'd knock him off. <laughs> he'd keep going up in weight, he'd just keep on winning. You know? yeah. yeah.
0: Trainers, you yeah. worked in the era of three generations of the Freer family. Jack, Richard and Rick. All wonderful horsemen.
1: That's right. They were, they were legends in this area. When you thought of Coral, you thought of the as They had some t- terrific horses, mm. very, very good street trainers, won races all over, like in all the metropolitan places. They were terrific trainers. Yeah, I, I, I had had the pleasure to work with three generations of them.
0: Yeah, you know, sadly, all three are gone. Rick passed only last year at 48 years of
1: age. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, he. he, he that was very, very, very sad.
0: Richard hit the headlines in 2004 when he got like a falcon into the Melbourne Cup in which the horse ran a gallon fourth. Wasn't there enormous support in the Riverina?
1: Oh, my word. Now, I think he, at one stage early he was the favourite for the Melbourne Cup. Mm. Yeah, and the, uh, yeah, that was one of the, a lot of good horses that Richard had.
0: The Hoisted name, of course, was synonymous with racing in your region, and you knew them all.
1: Yeah, they uh, all come from Wangaratta, where I came from originally, but the um, uh, Southern District Race Association goes right along the border, along the Murray River, and hmm. uh, Wangaratta was only a hop sheep and a jump from, the, from our area, and they used to come up our way a lot. The Hal Hoisted was just a master trainer. And later on, his son Roger came along, and he's he's no longer with the side of it. There was also uh, Jim Hoisted and Mick Hoisted, uh, very very experienced horse people, and had lots and lots of good horses.
0: Mm. Another father-son combination to train many winners under your auspices were Ollie and Brian Cox. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. There were another other ones too as well. Mm. Ollie Cox was known as being a terrific horseman, Yeah, very, very good with breaking in horses and get, getting them to go. And, of course, his son, Brian, was a very well-known trainer from Wadonga mm. and raced in this area for many, many years before he uh, tragically got killed in a, in a truck accident. Oh, yeah.
0: Mm. You've always spoken highly of Roy Whitehead from Holbrook.
1: Yeah, Roy Roy Whitehead was a, a, a. He was in the same area as area uh, as uh, the Hoys and the Honeychurches and the Frears and he 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 wasn't as big a trainer, didn't have as many horses, but was very 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 successful around this area. Hmm.
0: Now you've had many fine jockeys learn their craft in the riverina before going on to a bigger stage. Would you like to nominate a few?
1: Yes. Uh, that the, the did their apprenticeship so just over the border or raced in our area for many years. Luke Nolan was one of them. Mm. Uh, uh, Peter Robill was another one. Tim Clark. Yeah. And uh, oh, who else did we have? Oh, we've, we've had lots and lots of them. The Jai McNeil. Ones. Jai McNeil was another one. He'd come from down to Turaway. He was, in his younger days, he used to, learn his craft here in the SDRA before, they, you know, they'd outride their, their city, their country claim before going into the city and mm. well, most of them outride their claim in our area.
0: And more recently, Tyler Schiller, who was oh, champion yeah. of Sydney Apprentice a couple of years ago. Jesus, a oh. good bloke and a very good rider.
1: Oh, he's yeah, a little gentleman, yes, he and, and he's getting better and better all the time. I watch him closely on television and You know, this year he's won won the Group 1 race and uh, he's come along in leaps and bounds. I think he rode three wins at Rose Hill only last Saturday. He
0: did, correct. Mm. Now there's another bloke, Daryl, who actually lives in Cowra, but he has spent a lot of time in your region and is absolutely in demand with your local trainers, Matthew Carl. Matthew Carl,
1: yeah. And and, and his brother, Michael, rode here for many, many years too because their father was a very astute and very good trainer at Cowra. Mm. And uh, both Michael and and, uh, Matthew did their apprenticeships and rode in our area before Michael went on to be one of the leading jockeys in Queensland. But Mm. Matthew's always stuck to his home base in Cowra, and, of course, you wouldn't get a, a better rider anywhere in the country than Matthew Carl.
0: Now, there's a certain little girl uh, that you have very big raps on who started off in your region. She only recently transferred to a Sydney trainer and you're tipping a bright future.
1: Yeah, for sure and certain. Molly Burke's her name. Mm. Um, She outrode her claim here and she's moved on. I think she's uh, on loan at the moment uh, with John O'Shea in Sydney. And I'm predicting given the right uh, <laughs> opportunities that that girl will go on to bigger and better things. So punters that are, are listening to this podcast, if you see Molly Burke on a horse, you can rest assured that it'll be given every possible chance because that little girl, she's got beautiful balance, beautiful hands, and when she gets on a horse, she's a whole complex just changes. All she wants to do is win. She's a very fierce ride, wants to win all the time, and I've got very big rap on her. I think she's she's got a very big future.
0: Darrell, that is a pretty decent rap.
1: Yes, I got a big I got a big opinion of it, John.
0: Well, Darrell, you leave SDRA racing in the capable hands of a young and thoroughly professional Stewards panel under the chairmanship of Liam Martin. Dean Bucknell's on the panel and so is Brad Clark, Tim Clark's brother and a former good jockey himself.
1: That's right. He was, yeah. The funny thing is people say to Brad, oh, you're, you're Tim's brother. He says, no, Tim's my brother. <laughs> Does he? <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Darrell, I received a couple of requests from people in your district for a podcast to mark your retirement, and I'm very pleased we were able to make it happen, mate, because I've thoroughly enjoyed the chat. Congratulations on a career of great distinction, and thank you for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Good health.
1: Thank you very much, John. It's been an honour and a pleasure to speak with you.
0: Many Australian trainers have tried their horses on Pride's Racing Cube and have given the product a tick of approval. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube's set recipe formulation means the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags, or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at an economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers of thoroughbreds, standard breds, and performance horses are giving it the thumbs up all around the nation.